the incomparable. Number 280, December 2015. Welcome to this, the fourth, I believe, episode of the Star Wars Incomparable uh Series? Spectacular series of amazingness. I don't even know. So I'm your host, uh, Aline Sims, standing in for Jason, um, because one can only talk about Star Wars so much. Um, I am joined today by the lovely voices you've heard. Um, well, people are attached to those voices. Uh, Lisa Schmeiser, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to be here. Me too. Erica Insign, Welcome. Thank you so much. I am thrilled. Last but certainly not least, Mr. David J. Lore. Hello. Uh, so is our first topic of the night Kylo Ren's hair or is it Kylo Ren's hair? <laughs> um, I'm hearing you he hair. Kylo Ren's hair. <laughs> Sorry. So it's amazing. Like, <laughs> Well, actually, this is really unfair. Um I'm, I'm sorry. I've just been so excited to talk to somebody about his hair for days now. I've been sitting on there on Twitter. <laughs> but I guess... Okay, he, I need to find a picture of him because I did not even notice his hair. What? He's got nice it, hair. It blends into his cape oh and his Oh my god, to get its own billing. And... Like that, that, the helmet he wears should be sold to children under the product name VO5. That's how insanely well-conditioned his hair is in this. It's just this big, luxurious... It's Anyway, um... I, I maybe I, I may have just derailed this right before we started this thing. Um <laughs> maybe the way to start off with this um is to uh talk about what you may or may not have been expecting and how we managed our emotions going into this and what the experience of watching it for the first time was like and what you have been chewing on since you left the theater. Yeah, I think that sounds great. I was gonna ask for opening statements, so that's um, so Lisa, why don't you start? Sure. Um, <laughs> I saw it on Saturday with my local nerd posse and we got there an hour ahead of time. And there was still a very, very long line. And um, going into it, I had tried, I had basically gotten off the internet like 30, what, once the, once the movie premiered, I got off the internet and stayed on, I didn't want to be spoiled. I didn't want to be inadvertently spoiled. Like I knew what the name of some of the characters were and had a rough approximation of, oh, Finn's a stormtrooper, whatever. But um, I didn't want to know any plot twists. And so, you know, off the internet for 36 hours reading home design books, and we go inside. And I have to admit, like, the minute that the crawl started at the exact same angle, and the music comes up, and you see the field of stars, like, I'm a, I was applauding along with everyone else in the theater. And um, I let out this breath I had been unaware I was holding. And... Um, as the whole movie unfolded, I was like, this feels very familiar. And um, at some point during the middle of the movie, I was like, I really don't envy J.J. Abrams because who wants to be handed this huge franchise along with, okay, get a whole new generation excited and involved in a way they haven't been before, but try not to irritate the people who have spent the last 30 odd years of their lives being emotionally invested in the, you know, the stuff that came out in the 70s. And by the time the movie was done and we got out of the theater, I thought, oh, my God, he did it. He did. <laughs> I'm so relieved. That could have been really yeah. bad. And it was entertaining. And I do want to see it again because I want to see the stuff I missed. And oh, and like in a year where I was really let down by Avengers Age of Ultron, and I've had to reckon with my feelings about the Marvel franchise to come back to the franchise that I legitimately say like kickstart kickstarted like my sense of self as a as, as a kindergartner even. Like to come back to that and to see somebody who 
is pushing it in new directions while remembering what made it fun in the first place. Oh my God. It was such a sense of relief. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm on board. David, what about you? Well, before I say anything else about it, I should say that I loved it. Mm -hmm. I had a great time, but, um, (gasps) (laughs) but I loved it, but I loved it, but, um, I went to see it Thursday night, 8 p.m., first showing in the area, took the boys. My wife did not want to see it. She's been the Star Wars fan in the family all this time, but she did not want to see it. Hmm. And we went in and, you know, we watched it. And I was I was surprised it was not packed. It was full. It was more full than I thought it was going to be by the time the movie started. Because um, when we got there, it was deserted. It was like, oh, OK, we got here really early. And uh, but the boys were great. You know, we watched the movie and the whole time I'm I'm with it. And and I thought he did a great job working Spock into there. And, you know, that was mm-hmm. tough. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I, Wait, I did you uh, just say Spock? Is this leading to a yes, punchline somewhere? Did. Don't encourage him. It Let is, him keep it, talking. Don't encourage him. <laughs> don't encourage him. Um, well, I mean, J.J. spent two movies trying to turn Jim Kirk into Luke Skywalker. So, you know, this is what he's been meant to do. Um, and, and, and that might give away that I'm not a huge fan of JJ's work. This is the best thing I think he's done. He did a great job with it. And, and yeah, it is a daunting thing to have to take over and be the first person to do this. Not just, not just that you're doing a Star Wars film, but the first one who isn't like blessed by George Lucas. However, I thought there were a little too many repetitious plot threads and and it it was it you know i appreciate fan service some of that was okay i appreciate uh echoes and resonances and and all that and that's great and it is it is grand mythic saga storytelling that's fine but the only things that really worked for me in the movie were the things that were completely new that were unusual that surprised me that I didn't say oh well I know what's going to happen next everything where I started to see resonances I was like okay I know what's going to happen next and hopefully he's going to surprise me and not once did he surprise me so you know but I loved it it was a great ride the whole time and and after having seen the prequels in the theater uh this was redemptive this was Star Wars again so I'm okay with that you know, I'm I'm waiting to see if the next two are going to be different. Yeah. I should hope so. Erica, what about you? Well, I just, first of all, I want to say, to be fair, David, you have like a superpower of being able to tell where things are going. <laughs> I, I cannot count the, how many times you have just known the entire plot of whatever it was you were watching from the beginning. So I really don't think that your assessment is... Um, is one that should be uh, should be judged without knowing that piece of information. <laughs> I, I should say... Um, Part of why my wife didn't want to see it is because as soon as Harrison Ford was cast, she knew exactly what was going to happen and she knew exactly who the villain was and she's not a writer. So when I came out and she goes, well, and I went, yep, that was it. So <laughs> it, it, it wasn't even like, oh, well, this is how much screen time he has. This is his billing. No, it was just the fact that he was cast in it. It's like, that's it. I have seen it twice now. The first time I saw it was uh, Thursday night in, you know, a completely full theater. And then the second time was Sunday night in another theater that was 
pretty much completely full. Um, so, so yeah, I loved it enough to, to go and see it a second time. I think the second time I watched it, I enjoyed it more simply because I was so nervous the first time, (laughs) um, (laughs) just because I was, you know, I was worried that it wasn't going to be good. And I don't have the same, quite the same, like childhood connection to star Wars that a lot of people do. Um, but I think I was more worried about it just for my friends sakes, because I know so many people who are (laughs) deeply, deeply invested in it. And I was worried it was going to suck and they were going to be crushed. And I don't want my friends to ever be sad because that's just that's how I roll. Uh, so the second time I was able to just kind of relax and take it in a little bit more uh, than, it, than the first time. And I, I really enjoyed all of it. And this is coming from someone who knows a lot about the Star Wars universe and likes it a lot, but doesn't feel the same way about it uh, that kind of everybody else does. I mean, I love the original trilogy, but I also love The Phantom Menace. So that's, weirdo. Uh, <laughs> and if you're no, if you're, no, no, if you are interested in why, I'm not going to go into it here because this is not the time or the place. Uh, listen to episode ten of Unjustly Maligned on the Incomparable Network. Nice cross promotion. Well, there. That was wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and that was my thing. I mean, I I did I grew up with it, but it wasn't. I mean, I was always the Star Trek fan. This was the thing I liked, right? But my wife was always the the huge fan, and. She didn't want to see this. And I, and I said, is it because of the prequels? She said, no. When she was younger, she was not, you know, fairy tale princess and all that. She was not that kind of girl. Star Wars was her fairy tale. And I, I think it's safe to say that if people have listened to this many in- incomparables about this movie, we don't have to worry about the spoiler horn. Um, basically, yeah, I was going to say, this is a spoiler <laughs> episode. Like, just mm-hmm. take that for granted, everyone. <laughs> So, so basically, you know, the, the thought of Han and Leia having, you know, been estranged for many years and their child is on the dark side and all this. It's like, no, she didn't want to see that at all. She does not want to see this movie even now, even knowing, even, even when I said, you know, all the rest of it is really cool and it worked and I love the new characters. She's like, that's great. Not interested. Don't want to see. I'm going through midlife crisis stuff. I don't want to see that in my favorite movie couple ever. <laughs> no, I can totally, I can totally sympathize with that. It is jarring to see the the characters that you identified with who have entered your own personal headcanon fixed in a certain sp- place in space and time. It's jarring to see them age. Yeah. And, and, and the mortality and, and, you know, being a parent now and seeing these was, you know, that hit me, which I was not expecting. Yeah, I, um, I grew up with them. So I was the story I've been telling to people is um, I was seven months old when Return of the Jedi came out. Oh, God. And oh. my mom, I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> I'm so, so sorry. Um, did, did you shrink down in your seat, too, just then? I was like, oh. <laughs> no, I'm oh. reaching for the fish oil to lubricate my joints and keep the sail approaching. So I was seven months old when Return of the Jedi came out. And my mom went to see the theater or went to see it at the theater. And she took me with her because she did not have a babysitter. So Return of the Jedi was my first movie. And um, I remember when I was very, very little, like watching, watching it and mom being like, no, look at the teddy bears, like watch the teddy bears. (laughs) And so I don't have the hatred for for the, the Ewoks as many nerds do, um, because that was like my gateway into Star Wars. And it's kind of always been a lot like Star Trek. It's always kind of been in the background of my life. Like, it's just something I've always taken for granted because it's always been there. And I didn't let myself think about 
The Force Awakens until we were in the theater. And my husband was like, are you excited? Oh, wow. And I'm like, no, I'm managing expectations. Are you excited yet? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not thinking about it. I'm managing my expectations. And I cried. <laughs> I cried like four times oh. during the movie. I cried when when the opening crawl started. I cried <laughs> like because I totally see, David, what you're saying about like the fan service. But for me, that hit all the right notes. That was like my my pat on the back from J.J., who totally Rick. has has destroyed Star Trek for me. That was my, <laughs> that was my pat on yeah. the back. Like it, it's okay. This is for you. I understand where you're coming from and who you are. That was you know. And and even though the second time I watched it, I was like, okay, some of these Han and Chewie exchanges, maybe you know, we could do without. But you know, it was still like that reassuring. Like this is okay. And I think that's why they're in oh. there. And and, and even, I I didn't really mind those. It was it was purely the the plot elements that yeah. were slavishly duplicated. It was like, just no, stop. No, yeah. uh, okay, you and I are going to have to um, <clears throat> debate this a little bit. And, <laughs> well, because um, my my overall theory, theory of Star Wars, it's too bad it's not Star Trek, because Theory of Trek sounds much cooler. Um, the whole point of Star Wars, it's and, and you know this too, it's an epic cycle. And the way, right. Right. And the way I saw, the reason... I saw so many intentional parallels between episode four and episode seven was to prime the audience for the fact that the same struggle is happening and it's just, it's a new generation that's picked it up and the, the dramatic stakes that we have in this iteration of the cycle, the questions are, will we see history repeat itself? Is the cycle unchanging or can people do things that permanently, alter the that permanently alter the the, the circuit of events that's go, that's going to come around oh um, totally and totally. you know and and i like that they made han solo the ben kenobi figure a mm-hmm. lot i i love I, that and what i really love about that is when he came on and he was doing the swashbuckling my, my first snide thought was oh harrison ford is just too old to pull this off and then i realized that what they were doing is this is a dude who's basically going through the motions and falling back on unhealthy coping mechanisms because something so big and so bad happened that it permanently broke him and his capacity to believe in himself as a better man. And like once I started and, and, and once I looked at the performance that way, like it made a lot more sense and I was a lot less irritated with the, the initial Han presentation. And so I, I like the parallels. I like that Leia Organa has gone from being this 19 year old upstart to, you know, this, this, this really tired general and mm-hmm. I like that we're already seeing variations in the theme on the in the theme on the cycle because you have somebody you know like the baddie's mom is fighting for his soul, which is not <laughs> something that's happened in any of the previous cycles. Um, I love that our Luke Skywalker is a woman this time around. Like I cannot yes. even oh, begin yeah. to talk about like how powerful and and moving that is to me. And I also like that we're seeing um, more fleshed out elements of what it's like to live under the the empire. And I think these are like little plot and thematic clues that this iteration of the cycle is going to move in slightly different directions, but you are going to have to expect things like, um, a warped trainer, trainer, mentee dynamic, um, family issues working themselves out. Um, you know, stuff like that. I, I should, I should say I, all of that is exactly right. I'm a hundred percent with you. It, it is literally the mechanical plot elements of 
they have to destroy. It's like, okay, if the Death Star didn't work twice, then let's just build a gigantic version of it with the same problem, with the same with the same kind of flaw to it. Yeah. Uh, you know, let's let's hide a little piece of information in a droid. Okay, let's go to the same kind of hive of wretched scum. It's like it's okay to do other things along the way. The grand, the grand parts of it were perfect. Though. It's you look at the elements though, like finding that piece of hidden information <clears throat> is always part of any narrative quest. And the fact that, like, it obviously worked for Princess Leia, so like, why wouldn't this be part of the Rebel playbook? Right. I mean, it sounds like something that Luke would totally do. Be like, you know, he's he's a little bit sentimental as he's going away. Why not do exactly that? And building a death, building like a planet star or whatever you want to call it, where it sucks the energy out of the sun because hand wave, hand wave, hand wave. Like, this is exactly what you would expect Nazi General Weasley to come up with because this is the Empire and <laughs> they can't. Well, they, they can't win. They can't be. Well, smart. they can't. But the thing is, do you really think the Empire like is filled with scientists who are like, we're going to disrupt the paradigm of planet blower upper thingies like like there's no Silicon Valley in the Empire. It's just not. <laughs> That's just yeah. they, they that's just a, they yeah. tried to improve upon their model, and instead of instead of building a new one, they used a planet to create one. And let's just make it bigger, yeah, bigger. Yep. And it wasn't like there; it was not like there was you know an open hole that somebody could fly into and just shoot it. Let's 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 be fair there. Yeah, they actually true. had to send that's in true. a squadron. And it, it took more than one shot and yeah. one ship. Well, and, it took in, yeah. the, as a matter of fact, all of those shots that didn't work at all. What it took was the people the physically sneaking inside, blowing it up from the mm-hmm. inside, which created a new hole that they were then able to to uh, to use to get in there and blow it up. So it was the, the only reason a, uh, a an X-Wing was able to get in there and, and blow it up is because Han Solo had done the work first. Right. Well, and, and speaking of resonance and, you know, one of the things I worried about when when the movie started and it's, oh, they're estranged and all that was the thought that, well, you know, the journey he went on in the first trilogy where he's kind of redeemed from being the scruffy smuggler type. Uh, well, that's all out the window. But Which they, I did love. A, they did a beautiful job of actually carrying it forward and, and plausibly going, OK, this is where he would be if this happened. And not only that, he's not really the scruffy snug- smuggler anymore. I almost said scruffy snuggler, which everybody, I think. <laughs> we'll yeah. like, he oh, was that for yeah, a while. Too. He was always yeah. that. That happened. Um, and but, you know, it, it's sort of the resonance of that final moment on on the bridge. Right. Where now it's echoing that moment where Ben and uh, Darth Vader are about to fight in the Death Star. And they're all watching that happen. Right. And, and he's the one who's like, come on, kid, we just got to go. No, no. But now he's the one who's not only making it happen, he's the one stepping forward. He he is literally Ben in that moment. Exactly. Um, yeah, that's, that's, which is beautiful. I mean, yeah. that, that whole thing, that's, you know, I can I can forgive all the other plot mechanics just because that was so nicely done. And and it carried his protagonist's journey to its proper arc and conclusion. It was just lovely. Mm-hmm. I knew and- that was going to happen. Like I knew he was going to die when they they embarked upon the rescue mission, right? When it was Chewie and Hunt and and Finn going into the base, I was like, "Yeah, he's he's going to die because he he's obviously been right." Like, well, he this- he spent the whole movie saying, "Hey, this is great. Tomorrow is my my retirement. This is yeah. my last day of work." <laughs> Of course. Yeah. Yeah. There was also too much of him in there for him to be back for more movies. Yes. But 
But like, so I spent that whole time they were on the base just like, okay, he's going to die. When is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? Like when it, like I was just waiting for Han to die like that whole time. I kind of was, I had forgotten about it by that time, but the, the, the moment that I figured out that Han Solo was going to die was actually when I was listening to the incomparable episode where Jason and Ren <laughs> and John and Dan were talking about their excitement for the movie and like their expectations, the spoiler-free one, not talking about a trailer. Uh-huh. And Serenity was saying how she was was really excited for this film and the thing that made her get her hopes up the most was seeing Harrison Ford be interviewed about it and how he's such a notorious grump in interviews and he actually seemed kind of enthusiastic and a little bit jazzed about this film and she thought if this is enough for Harrison Ford to be you know kind of smiling and enthusiastic and having fun with it that means it's probably a really good movie and in my head I'm going no that means his character is going to die he's a giant grumpy troll and he's just sitting there on the stage <laughs> thinking ha, 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 you guys you're gonna have to watch me die on screen he's just relieved he's done with the franchise now <laughs> I don't I don't have to come back for two more exactly yeah but it was. I liked that there were all of those echoes because, um, and and I liked. Um, I can't remember Lupita's uh, character's name and the Maz 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 Thank you, Kanata. I if you're always going to find watering holes in frontiers. I mean, I get that we had the Tatooine um, thing with the wretched hive of scum and villainy, and you meet Han Solo there, and so on and so forth. But this is one of the things I've always appreciated. I like the trading posts. I love seeing Cloud City mm-hmm. in the, 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 the last iteration of the cycle, for example. I actually think that was one thing that was kind of missing from episodes one to three was all of the cultures were so siloed and the Jedi seemed to be, you know, the only ones that could comfortably move around. I like the idea that you do have these shifting um you do have these places that act as shifting borderlands where and of course that's where han solo that's where han solo is gonna he's gonna find another right. one yeah that's right he's gonna know where they are it's a place to exchange information it's a place to be lo- it's a place to get lost or it's a place to find something you're looking for but what i loved about this one was it felt so timeless i mean you had that statue up there which which gave the impression of of, of great age as it were well, he did say she'd run it for a thousand years exactly and then you have all those banners and whether or not it was intentional, there's kind of a Guinan vibe to it. And mm-hmm. I like and trust that character as well. I, I'm a sucker for immortal bartenders, I guess. And um, <laughs> I, I was also getting kind of a Marion Ravenwood vibe, too. It's like that's like her place in Raiders. I, I like the whole, well, this works for these cultures. So, you know, we're going to go back and we're going to finally blown up all that we've blown up all the jason and jada skywalker pinkett whatever business that that luke has with the twins and and all that um you know we've blown up all this stuff that you nerds have considered continuity for years and we're 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 starting fresh but i like that it seems like there's a lot of um really rich cultural texture that they're that they're pulling into it um the same way i'm kind of fascinated by the thriving scavenger business that's going on on jacko (laughs) Like the fact that the empire doesn't come back to clean up or salvage in any way, shape, or form. Like I find that really interesting and weird. And well, maybe this <laughs> is their way of doing the salvage. I mean, they very, very likely could be the ones, you know, the first order that are buying all of those parts off of the merchants who are selling, mm-hmm. you know, buying it with bread. I don't know because I'm wondering why you wouldn't just, um, you know, send all those little children that they're stealing from other cultures and turning into stormtroopers. Why you wouldn't just do, like, if you can have Finn pushing a broom as a sanitation engineer in a facility, you could certainly have these mm. dudes tripping around the tripping around Not the desert. Not necessarily. Too. I mean, they may have lost a good chunk of their uh, of their workforce. Well, they and- lost a big ass chunk at the end of this movie too. <laughs> 
<laughs> Very true. So, I mean, the, I think mm-hmm. that probably the priorities are keeping things set on on their their new Star Killer base, as opposed to yeah. you know scavenging parts that may or may I not just, even be useful. I am just who leaves a small child alone on a planet like that? I want to find out. Like, I like that there are answers right. to questions that are bugging me. And it was Luke. He's not supposed to have kids. Like, this is how we got, we've, we've gotten three generations of, of, of Skywalker <laughs> DNA monkeying with the universe is, is that one of them couldn't keep in his pants. Maybe. I don't know. I feel like that the Luke thing is a little, e- that's a little too. I easy. think so too. Yeah. Yeah. At first oh, yeah. that's without, at first I was like, Oh, it's obvious. But then actually then Steven, my husband was pointing out to me that in that very last scene where it's, it's just, the two of them and they're not speaking he's not actually looking at ray he's looking at the lightsaber if that yeah. was his daughter he would not be looking at the lightsaber yeah yeah maybe she's and- a kenobi mm-hmm. well oh, interesting dude that's that raises the question did obi-wan kenobi bother sticking to the jedi code after he ran off to tatooine oh god no <laughs> <laughs> David i like you and mcgregor i'm in a backwater it. and i'm bored so. <laughs> So let's let's talk about Ray because she is I mean I'm sure the other panels talked about her but whatever no. we're going to do it because she's awesome enough to be squeed over right. on many oh right my over God. and yes. over and over and over again. So so we've got this this little girl we get like this very brief glance of her backstory and other than seeing her be amazing like taking things apart exploring the desert in in an effort to take things apart. Um, we have some hints at her past, like she's able to pilot. She knows about the modifications made to the, the, the Falcon. So like, obviously she's, I know, I don't know. There's like something happening there. Um, she's really complex and really, really awesome. She, Oh gosh, I love her so much as a character. Yeah. Um, I, my, my, you know, we, we have the thing of, you know, why aren't there any action figures of Ray? Why are they all the men? Why, why is the multi-pack like all the men and then like an extra TIE fighter pilot? Why isn't Ray in there instead of a TIE fighter pilot? Yeah, right. So weird. And, yeah. and mine, mine goes, yeah, I'd like to get Ray because she's cool. She's the hero. I guess we can get Finn and Poe so she can rescue them. <laughs> yeah. So she can rescue them. Exactly. Like, like this yes! Is, this is the greatest part. Is, is I loved it when she's like, stop holding my hand. Is there right? Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. And I, I was thinking back to um, – how I would have reacted seeing this as a five or six year old. Cause I saw, I, I'm, I've saw, I've told this story on podcast before I saw star Wars with my kindergarten class. It was a field trip. And I distinctly recall like my feet being too, my, my legs sticking out on the cinema seat. Cause the seat was so big, but like the reason and I imprinted on princess Leia is she was literally like nothing else I had ever seen, you know? And right. this is the kind of right. princess I wanted to be rather than the one that sits around and simpers with birds until she falls asleep or whatever. You you and my wife would get along. I bet we would. <laughs> and when I watched this and I saw Ray, it was almost like traveling back in time to that younger person and thinking, wow, this is even, she's even better than Princess Leia. Because granted, Princess Leia sets a really high bar for what she could do. But you have somebody who, you know, who survives this really brutal world. You know, she's surviving. She's not, she's not thriving necessarily, but she's not, she, she, she's not, you know, so destitute that she's in danger of, of, of dying for any, for any reason. You know, she's, she's got ambition. She's got focus. She's got skills and she's adaptable and has her principles and her code and is resilient and tough and learns resourceful and learns quickly. Yep. And yeah. you look at everything that she is and she does 
and how, how fiercely loyal she is to people and how tenacious she is. And I kept thinking, wow, that is, there are going to be little girls across this country who, um, you know, if they were using Jesse from Toy Story as their adult before, like Ray is on their mental toy shelf next to Jesse and Rainbow Dash and all of the other, all of the other strong, determined, tenacious, resourceful characters that populate the world. And um, I love that we have that. I love that she's yeah. not a girlfriend. Like this has been my big complaint about the Star Trek reboot is how poorly mm. the um, female characters have fared. Yep. And I'm and I'm having that problem with and I'm having that problem with Marvel too. Um, like I think this is one of the reasons I'm so happy about Jessica Jones is because it's breaking the streak. But you know, I've been going to Marvel movies where I ask you we're asked we're asked to imagine a world where space aliens are secretly Vikings and and men can turn <laughs> into giant greed and rage machines after being exposed to radiation. And like apparently the idea that women would maybe hang out with each other or have agency or anything like that, like that beggars belief. So <laughs> right. no, that's that's science fiction, right? Yeah, oh what that's crazy crazy talk so it was nice that star wars just treated it so matter of fact like of course a of course leia is the general who has more experience with crazy skywalkers going to the dark side than she does and <laughs> of course ray manages very well on her own and she's strong in the force and of course the thousand year old bartender who happens to to run one of the most successful cultural trading posts in this part of the universe is a lady and of course like i was telling my husband um who wouldn't go see the movie with me because he really like got turned off by the prequels. I was like, I said, it was so nice to just see women included. They were just there like everywhere. They were in the background. Right. They were running things. There was a fighter pilot who was a woman. Cause I can remember watching oh, movies as a awesome. child and being like, why are there no female pilots or why, why are there no female smugglers? And like, it was so nice just to see how much more radically egalitarian this, this movie was mm -hmm. and the stuff that came before it. Well, to be fair, I believe Jedi did have a female pilot, which is still the same ratio that we have for this one. Because yeah. there's only one in this, correct? Yeah. She has lines, though, which I'm very excited. I, I honestly That's thought, true. I honestly thought she was going to die because I'm like, oh, God, anytime you see a woman who's hanging with the boy, she gets killed. <laughs> I, all, all I could think was if, if there had been a, a female a fighter pilot in the original Star Wars, it's, it's like naming the fat guy Porkins. Her yeah. name would have been like Porkins. Lady Guy or something. <laughs> <laughs> Fly lady. <laughs> well, fly lady five, are you ready to? <laughs> this is the first movie I've walked out of in, I don't you know. You walked out of it? Oh, my. I was going to say recent memory, but like just <laughs> memory where I, I felt really good because, you know, the typical thing is like, oh, we've got this woman and she's strong and resourceful and tenacious and like all of those those traits that Lisa listed. And then in the last half hour, she needs to be rescued by the Finn and Han and Chewie. And she didn't Ray didn't need that. Ray was capable. Throughout the herself. Whole, I loved it. Right. The whole thing. And I, you know, I walked out of Guardians of the Galaxy feeling really, really bad. I walked out of um, Age of Ultron, Ultron feeling really, really uh. bad. Like Scarlett Johansson is is the Hulk's girlfriend in that movie. Yep. Or, well, like, kind of. And kind of Hawkeye's, like... I don't know, like jealous of his family. Like, I don't, it was just bizarre to me. And the same for Star Trek. We have, um, uh, we have scientist lady who strips down to her underwear for no reason. Like 
constant, constant letdowns in my science fiction, which is extraordinarily disappointing. And this didn't have that. And I walked out and I was like, this, this is the movie I have been waiting for forever. At the, at the, at the only risk of bringing it down, I still think it's, I I still think it's hogwash that you cast a woman of color and then hide her in CGI. I was just going to say that. Like, I don't understand why we don't have, um, did they decide after she was cast that they were going to make that character CGI? Because that would suck. I don't know. Oh, no, 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 I don't think so. But, think yeah, so. Um, okay, then, then I, then I don't feel like that. Like, uh, I mean, like, I think I, she I was designed little... to be Yoda esque. Yeah, uh, but which again, resonance. It's such a. It is a little crazy to me that in Star Wars you have more characters who are, you know made with rubber masks or CGI or who are droids who have lines and agency and, and um, speaking parts in this world, then you do men of color, much less women of color. Like it's, it's still a relentlessly white universe. And this is the thing that kind of baffles me, you know, and and again, spreading a wide net here too also includes Star Trek and also include the Marvel verse. It is crazy to me that if you have a medium that is in that, that is inherently built on, we took this world, moved it 45 degrees and threw in crazy stuff that like somehow your standard is still lots of white dudes, you know? Yep. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. while I'm excited that John Boyega is obviously going to be an important part of this franchise, hooray! Um, and uh, Daisy Ridley, hooray! You know, it's it's still, it's a lot of dudes and a, there's, yep. there's a long way a to go. A lot of white people. Yeah. There's, there's yeah. a long way to go, but I, I'm, I'm still at the same time happy that they've gotten as far as they have. And then going back to just talking about Ray for a moment, um, one of the things that I love about her is that she is super awesome and super capable, but she's not infallible. Like she's no. not right. perfect. Right. I yeah. love getting to see her screw up, for example, mm-hmm. accidentally opening the doors on the <laughs> God, ship to let so out great. the crazy monster, CGI oh, monster beast. That was such um, a great sequence. Which yeah. was, you know, kind of... It, a little bit of hilarity and then also just seeing her screw up. And she's also kind of socially a little bit weird and awkward because she's lived by herself in an ad at for like her entire life practically. So it's, uh, it's nice that she isn't, um, a hundred percent on the ball all the time and we get to see it when she's not. Yeah. And it's nice to see her mess up and be like, instead of like beating herself up, she's like, okay, that didn't go the way I expected. How do I fix it? And that was really good to see. And that's the kind of uh, attitude you'd expect from somebody who grew up and managed to make it to the age that she is at on a planet like Jakku. Yeah. And it's like all all the talk online from certain quarters that, oh, she's a Mary Sue. Well, you know, first of all. Well, no, 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 (laughs) no. A hero is designed to be idealized. His, he or she is designed to be the person that we identify with, that we want to be in that story. A Mary Sue is someone who comes into the story that as a proxy is a proxy for the writer, is a proxy for the fan, who is the best thing ever, and then leaves. They're not a permanent part of that story. They're not. They, I mean, that's it came from Star Trek fan fiction. That's where the term comes from. And you know, it's like, oh, here's an ensign who saves the ship and saves everybody's lives and gets promoted all the way to admiral in the course of half an hour. Uh, that's a Mary Sue. This is just a hero, and she's meant to be the cornerstone of this next section of the saga. That is not a Mary Sue. That is a hero. So I guess and, the question and, I have is, is nerd culture, or more specifically dude nerd culture, so accustomed to women as 
objects to be one or supporting characters who give the men something to do, i.e. rescue them, win them, whatever, or, or background wallpaper that they can't handle it when women have the, the, the defining traits of, of the protagonist and the hero? That might be part of it, but I think I think what it boils down to at a, a, even a deeper level than that is that as as women, we have been taught our entire lives to we've learned how to empathize with the male characters who have been at the center of all of these adventure stories. Boys were never taught to do that with girl characters. So they now see this person who is awesome and who is the center of this film, and they are many of them are not equipped to empathize with this character they, they feel that it's wrong for them to sort of put themselves in this character's shoes because oh my god she's a girl whereas we've been doing that with boy characters forever and ever and ever so we have no trouble with it so it's 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 basically a new skill set that needs to be built by an awful awful lot of people yeah and i mean honestly if more people could step outside of themselves and empathize with someone who doesn't look just like them Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that solve a lot of problems in the world today? No kidding. You know, no I mean, yep. I was I was raised when when I was a child, uh, my mother was a single mother. And so everything that I got, all of the, the pop culture I got came filtered through that experience. And and the importance of being able to see elements of yourself or elements that you would like to be part of yourself in people who were not at all like yourself. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I feel very lucky about that. I try to do that with, with our kids. It's like, you know, it's okay. I mean, that's what it, my 14-year-old's uh, favorite movie of the year was Fury Road. My 11-year-old's favorite was Inside Out. Our favorite altogether was, was The Force Awakens. What's the thread? They're all females. They're all, that's the mm-hmm. hero. Yep. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> And it's and it I do as you kind of mentioned before Eileen I love that that they don't really make a big deal out of the fact mm-hmm. that she is a girl. They don't really yeah. make a big deal out of the fact that that Finn is a black man. They just they are these characters and they're interacting in the way that they are just as people. Like currently, oh, yeah. and I'm sure this will ch- this I'm sure this will change after I've seen it a few more times because my favorite bits of movies always change. Um, but my current favorite chunk of the film is from the time that Finn gets to the outpost uh, where where Ray. Uh, where Ray lives and, you know, sees her and goes to rescue her and then realizes, whoa, I don't <laughs> let me just sidle away here. She clearly doesn't need any help. And then she chases <laughs> him down um, all the way, like all of their interactions through running, through stealing the Millennium Falcon until the point where they have escaped the planet. And it's in, I don't know, it, it, autopilot in space or something like that. And they they meet each other in the corridor and they're excitedly talking over each other. And they yeah. just they're so jazzed and they end with this big hug. It's like that's that's the kind of reaction that I want to see more in movies after an experience like this. So often characters just sort of like, yeah, they brush it off. We've just been through something crazy. Cool. We lived. No, this is this is what I would be doing. I would be freaking the heck out and want somebody <laughs> right. to hug. And that is what they well, do. And they don't make a big deal that she's a girl. He's black. They're just they just hug. It's I, great. I, I think what made my gave me a lump in my throat at that, though, is they're both such lonely people. Yes. Mm-hmm. And yes. part of the reason they're so giddy and they're hugging is because for the first time they're not alone. And they it and and it's 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 sort of an oh my god, you know, it's 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 they've like leveled up in humanity, as it were. Like like it's another level <laughs> in humanity. Here I go, it's a whole new world, a whole new experience. But you know, you had two people who are he says he was taken from a family he doesn't remember, and they have that scene where Captain Phasma's talking about how he was sent for reconditioning. And you'll note that the um picture of him on the profile they bring up is not the adult Finn, it's the little boy they stole. 
Right. And, um, and again, Ray was, I guess, left by somebody who was concerned about her well-being when she was only six or seven years old. So they, they both had the experience of being ripped from, you know, ripped from their families. They've been raised, they, they've either been raised or raised themselves in very, um, you know, harsh. Is- harsh and isolationist environments. They're both very lonely people who are also a little bit confused as to why things are happening to them the way they are. And, <laughs> And they survive an experience together. And what's more is that, like, it's the together part that I think moves them more than the survive part because they have probably separately survived pretty awful things and had nobody mm-hmm. to process it with. But this time there is somebody who not only will listen to them, that other person cares what happened to them. And that's like a whole new experience for them, too. And it just, it gave me like a lump in my throat, you know, watching. Well, and, that. and not only that, but t- tell me if I'm mistaken. When when they first meet and they're, they're you know they're running they're being chased and he and he keeps grabbing her hand yeah that grabbing my hand yeah. isn't is that the only time that anyone sort of makes a, a very stereotypical oh you're a girl come on I, yeah. I think that's the only time so. in the whole movie and and what's really great about that whole sequence is that it starts off where they're they are kind of formal they are I mean they yeah. don't know each other at that moment and and just through that whole experience they come back around to having a shared experience which they've never really had with anyone before and that's what culminates in the hug too and it, I mean it's just a beautiful moment so the grabbing of the hand do you think that was some of the JJ Abrams all throwing some levity to get people invested and have them laugh through the tension or do you think that was honestly supposed supposed to point to something where maybe Finn is kind of remembering some of the um, social mores that may have been, that he may have experienced before abduction and and conditioning. I think that's both. I, th- I think it is a very proper traditional. This is how you were raised. You do this, and you take the lead. Because I don't see the stormtroopers being big on chivalry. Yeah, I've I've wondered. I've been wondering about that too. I was wondering if this was J.J. Abrams sending up the action convention, or if this was at, or because you know it's not like. There, there are things he does that seem anachronistic or seem mostly to be done to, you know, connect to audiences and make them feel like, oh, it's irreverent, um, as opposed to stuff that might be in there deliberately to try to sit to try to lay down clues or send you messages. And with this handholding thing, I'm honestly not sure because again, J.J. Abrams does sometimes do stuff that's meant just to win audiences over, um, like. James Kirk and the song Sabotage. It's kind of the equivalent of some young man today driving his car around to um, like a 1920s bootleg tune. I got the impression that he would be doing that same sort of thing. I mean, possibly even if it was a guy, um, that it, that's just mm-hmm. his his reaction, especially, you know, he he was a stormtrooper. His first battle, he sees one of his friends die. You know, thank goodness for us that he does so we can recognize him because he's got blood <laughs> yeah. on his, his mask. Um, and then the the first person that, that he... It, connect to in any way is actually Poe Dameron and then they escape together so that's his first experience of of working together with someone and having that that togetherness experience which as Lisa said that's a really important and powerful thing and then Poe dies which had to have been such a huge blow to him that I think you know that his his natural reaction after that fact is if he sees you know if he sees somebody that he is has any kind of connection with you know even though he's only said a few words to her they they are now somewhat connected. Something like, scary happens. On. He grabs her hand and he runs. Yeah. Well, and and the and the stormtroopers aren't big on chivalry, but they are big on uh, proper orders. And this is the the propriety. I can't talk. <laughs> this is the proper thing to do in this moment, and you do this right. It's not mm-hmm. it's not uh, your choice. You do this because this is what you're supposed to do. 
And and that's I mean that's how I was trained chivalrously, right? You know, you hold the door for ladies. You do this. You do that. Um, it, you don't question it, right? And so it, it, that it struck me as as it was a combination of both of those things. From the other side, it's interesting too that you know Ray keeps saying, "Stop taking my hand. I can run without you taking my hand," which I would expect from somebody who has has lived uh, on her own for so long. Which to me makes the the hug scene after they survive even more touching because she's been you know sort of like you know not wanting the physical contact, and now she's just so overwhelmed with with the happy feels that she's good with a hug. Mm-hmm. Aww. Yeah. Aww. Well, it's 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 certainly more subtle emotional development than we've gotten in any of the others any of the other installments. And I and I say this is somebody who loves movies four through six episodes four through six, and would be re- willing to revisit episodes one through three. So, um. <laughs> I I revisited one through three when the kids were a couple of years younger, and and revisited them several times, and then I finally snapped and played them the incomparable episodes about the first the the one two and three, <laughs> and now we've heard. Uh, Steve Lutz say go wash a droid more than we've actually seen the, the <laughs> prequels now so nature and nurture I purposely did not listen to the incomparable episode <laughs> about episode one because I just don't want to hear it yeah, don't, yes I know don't there are it. problems with that movie but don't, I still you, love you, it you don't want to yeah. nope. you don't have to go to eBay I'm happy to listen to him rip apart two and three I'm good with that <laughs> <laughs> so I feel, one of the I feel things better. If if we're going to talk about things that bothered us about the movie, one of the things that bothered me was um, they they just like anyone they met, they were like, oh, yeah, this droid has has the map to Luke Skywalker. I <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> it was hilarious. He should have um, just slapped a bumper sticker. Are you the droid the he hid it in? <laughs> right. Wait, did he hide something in all the droids? Dude. <laughs> You know, and and it starts when it starts with Poe, you know, and it's a very blatant thing. It's an orange and white droid, completely unique. And, you know, like it starts with with Poe telling Finn and then Finn gets to the planet and he's like, oh, yeah, plans. To and it's just like everyone they meet. And I'm like, it's it's like not- Rubik's droids. <laughs> Do you not know how to keep secrets or feel people out? Like It did make me laugh every time, but it, it made sense to me that Poe would tell Finn because he's trying to convince him, listen, this is something that we really need to do. It is that important. You know, this is th- this is where we're going. And then I I don't know why Finn would have any like he wouldn't have any reason to keep stuff like that a secret so much. Like he he doesn't care that much. He just he's running away okay, okay. and doesn't necessarily he's never lived in this rebellion world. He's always been given orders and just marched to them. So he might not have a filter for that kind of for that kind of information. And then the next time that we get somebody tell, told about it, it's Han Solo and Chewie, which, you know, that makes sense, too. It's still it's still funny every single time somebody's like, yeah, Matt to Luke Skywalker. I'm like, and come I'm on, just- guys. How do you really know these people are who they say they are? Like, I just, I don't know. Like, I was raised to be more suspicious. I was yeah, raised on a planet where I didn't know everybody. Yeah, that's, it's that's all true. There, there is, there is all that. Of it. There is that where you're just like, you were, no wonder you are always getting blown up. You are constantly <laughs> everybody, everything. Um, my complaint, and I feel odd making it, I honestly expected Poe Dameron to die. And, like, 
in my opinion, it would have been perfect if he had died in that TIE fighter crash. And well, I think he was th- originally supposed to. Yeah. And that would have been the perfect MacGuffin where you're like, oh, it's the handsome leading man type. And he's roguish and makes friends with the stormtrooper who rescued him. And they have a caper together. And oh, it's over. Because um, <laughs> I'm kind of a sucker for, for that sort of swerve. Like one of my favorite comic books starts off, um, Black Orchid by Neil Gaiman starts off with that kind of swerve. And um so when Poe so when Poe Dameron came back, hello, I'm back, and I thought, oh my god, you good Leslie, you. And um that's uh, But you still got that swerve. Like for a good chunk of the movie, I really did think he was dead. Yeah. And there which was a, I, you know, I, I would have liked it if he had stayed dead. I mean, not because and this is nothing against Oscar Isaac, who I may emphasize is his own special effect. That's how fine he looks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I um I noticed such things too, not that I would, you know, but, but well, then you get that amazing hug at the end. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, but here's like, my other who suspicious would be able thing? to ship Poe and Fenn if mm-hmm. yeah, Poe was dead? Here's like, my nasty, happen. suspicious um, mind at work, though, is it's awfully convenient now he's alive and back. And I'm like, what if he was working with somebody? You know, because it's the Empire, and for all we know, like, there were a lot of Weasleys. Maybe there's a bunch of Weasley generals in different parts of the of the Empire, and they have wheels spinning within wheels, and one of them's like, oh, we'll have a couple moles in the Resistance, and this Poe Dameron guy who's a really great fighter pilot. He just happens to be good enough to get in out of scrapes and maybe he's playing a long con and he's like some no. empire agent on the inside type thing. So I'm like a he's, little suspicious no. of him. He's pretty shady then if he does that because I mean he's, yeah. he blows up their planet killer. So if he's if he is a mole, he is he is in the deepest of deep cover. Yeah, I'm pretty I, I would not be surprised though. Like again, it's wheels within wheels. Um, I, I want to be Poe Dameron. You, you don't say that about Poe For Dameron. all we know, there's like an empire <laughs> faction who's like we don't like that all of our resources are being dictated by some jawless hologram madman and his luscious maned acolyte so let's lead a quiet revolution from within blow up a few planets to finally cast some aspersions on this this death star strategy we keep trying (laughs) you know to be fair maybe they're like the freedom caucus of the empire you know No, I I really liked Poe Dameron. He's swashbuckling. He's great. Like, he's great. I just feel like he was grafted Mm. back into the plot. Like, I would have liked him to stay dead for that reason. Well, well, and I I think BB-8 is frankly the cat from inside Lewin Davis. But (laughs) the the thing that bothered me (laughs) was that, I mean, I figured he would come back because that's a very classic cliffhanger switch. You know, it's like, oh, he's dead. No, he's not. Um, there's no way he could have gotten out. Yeah, he got out at the last second. Um, you know, it's like, all right, that's that's fair enough. That's in the that's in the DNA of Star Wars. But if they were going to do that, it's it's too convenient for him to just suddenly appear. You know, if there had just been one hint, Finn doesn't need to know it. Finn can still think he's dead, but we need to have just one little tiny establishing, you know, a footprint walking away from the crash or or just something. I don't know what. Yeah, but Finn, that would have ruined that would have ruined the whole the whole swerve, as Lisa put it. I'm I'm glad that I didn't know. I wouldn't I wouldn't have wanted a clue to that because then I wouldn't have had that delightful surprise at the end. Yeah, like, see that didn't that wasn't up? that that didn't do it for me. This the swerve for me is is for Finn, right? Finn is the one who gets surprised by it, and and his his sadness and then his joy at the end. That's what makes it for me. It's not it's not the plot machinations of oh he survived. Um, it, well, it was. That, it was. It did work on me, and I think it probably worked mm-hmm. on a lot of kids. Oh, I'm too. sure it did. Yeah, I'm sure it did. Um, it was. It was kind of like the in the Man from Uncle movie this summer, where they they would like intentionally leave out details, 
And then they would go back and show you the details they left out and said, see, aren't we so clever? It's like, no, you're just <laughs> screwing with us. That's no, that's not okay. Uh, so it, it rubbed me that way. It was like, uh, you know, and it, it, like I said, it doesn't have to be a big thing. It could be something that we might miss, but it should be just like in the corner of the screen somewhere. So you go, ah, he did survive. It is okay. It is. He didn't just miraculously show up alive later. But but Finn was thrown out so far away. Like if you look right. at the wreckage, yeah. right. I mean, mm-hmm. it. Uh, well, I mean, couldn't have I had mean, a footprint. That wouldn't have done. But, yeah, but that would have been weird. But if if in How the distance you, you see, well, yeah, hang on. If in the distance you see like the trail of of a parachute lying over the top of a dune, that's where he landed. If Finn misses that okay, entirely maybe. and keeps walking, something like right. that, you know. Um, and yes, I love the jacket. I want the jacket. Oh God, yeah. No, if I anyone want the, wants to buy me the jacket, I want. Uh, I want let I want, me know. I want that jacket too. That jacket is amazing. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> no wonder Finn liked it. I love. No. Uh, okay. So speaking of costumes, I think what I really like and appreciate about this: there's no metal bikinis anywhere in sight. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and you know, Ray's Ray's stuff is mostly functional when you think about it. Um, I mean, there's a little bit of that that whole cold shoulder avant garde, you know business at the top of the arms going on but i like that her her clothing is clearly functional um i like that it doesn't really change much that she's in pants the whole time um i like that leia is actually in pants for much of this too actually as a little girl i can't tell you how excited i was to see in return of the jedi that she was like wearing pants and jumpsuits and everything it was completely practical because <laughs> you know i was like oh my gosh at last <laughs> well i think it was to balance the metal bikini in the first quarter oh no uh, that, that, that the return just, of the Jedi was just, uh, and even, yeah. and, and I mean, it worked on me as a, as a boy just hitting the right spot. And even at that point I was like, yeah, that's too much. That's no, <laughs> no. All right. So we're at about an hour. Let's, um, let's do some closing, closing thoughts, happy thoughts. Let's end on a high note. So, um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll unfortunately call it good, but, um, Erica, let's start with you. Well, first of all, I did bring up a picture of Kylo Ren. So now I know what Lisa's talking about with this hair. And um, I don't know that I would call that lusciously conditioned. It looks greasy to me, which makes sense because he's been <laughs> he's been wearing a helmet all the time. So, of course, his hair is going to be greasy. I would keep my hands away from that as far as possible. It is not the Vanity Fair picture. You totally have to see this in the movie. The hair is its own special effect in the movie. I'm serious. <laughs> Look, it, it's giving me the kind of like creeping willies a little bit there. No, in the um, movie, like the first time when he takes off his helmet and, 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 and you know, when Ray's like it's awfully hard to blah 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 because helmet he's, he takes it off and boing, the hair comes out and I was like maybe the dark <laughs> side of the force gives you the ability to withstand helmet hair and that is compelling that is the most compelling argument I can feel for the dark side of the force <laughs> I, I will say my, my only issue with Kylo Ren uh, I mean I have a natural the, the riffing is strong in this one and, and so there were too many moments where like you know he takes his his thing off and i go hey it's vinnie barbarino um or or i see him as his character from girls which is not what you want to be seeing when you're watching this i've never and seen then, girls so i, I, I feel very lucky yeah, yeah. Uh, mm, uh, mm. <laughs> um, but but at the very end you know the, the the lightsaber duel which was really well done and and I've said this online before. My my theater partner is a fight director and and has taught me what to look for. So I appreciate really good fight choreography, right? And I'm watching this, and this is you know really good stuff. 
And and at the same time, I'm seeing the Black Knight from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And so every few uh, seconds, I'm that. going, "Tis but a flesh wound," you know. And I'm like, "Oh, oh, just put just a little bit of color in his costume. You wouldn't have that." But I'm like, "Oh God, no!" So I kept getting ripped out of the the moment by little things like that. I mean, the fight scene is beautiful, and it's it's you know it's it sort of has a real Kurosawa feeling to it, which is again absolutely right for god the, the moment he shouts you need a teacher let me be your teacher yes and there's that oh my de- god. And, it, and it's not because he and it's again it's that whole desperate need for human connection and you realize my god mm-hmm. he, he is as lonely as finn and as ray are and this is the way he's chosen to handle it instead well and and again to to uh, go back to star trek for a second because mm-hmm. everything goes back to star trek <laughs> um it, it he reminded me of charlie x who was the the um, little boy who was raised by the aliens when his his uh, his ship was marooned somewhere and all the adults died and the the all powerful beings saved him and 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 he ends up having to go back with them he they, they take him away from the enterprise at the end of the episode spoiler horn mm-hmm. and um, it reminded me of that because if if his biggest connection to anyone right now is is Snoke. I mean that's that's no way to live. That's that's perhaps even worse than being isolated on a desert planet living mm-hmm. in an at-hat. Yeah. You know. So again, well, it's that desperate need for connection. That was Vader's issue too, right? Like he had the emperor and people he force yeah. choked. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, not well, not get, not, a, to, not what you call a fun holiday list. Um, no, no. It's, it's... To, to get back to my my happy thing to end on though, it is <laughs> it is <laughs> bringing it back up here, you guys. I'm not going to let you rest it down. Uh, <laughs> is a uh, it's just my excitement over the character of Finn because he's just he's kind of this wild card that we haven't really seen. Uh, th- that kind of a character type in in Star Wars before, and you know he's. It, He's a, it, it's it's self interest, but it's it's nice self interest. Like he mostly wants to run away until the end when he he goes back and, and and helps out. But but I love the idea that I have absolutely no idea what his character arc is going to be, where he's going to go in the next movie. He ends up unconscious, and we have that you know lovely scene of Ray kissing him on the forehead before she leaves. And I just am thrilled to death with the idea that I don't know what he's going to do in the next mm-hmm. movie. That's great. Yeah. See, yeah. that's that's the thing I loved. All of the new characters were not analogs of the old ones. Mm-hmm. They had their own twists, their own interests. They were all really well crafted. They were really well cast. And 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 exactly, I don't know where that's going. I don't know where she's going to wind up. I don't know what's going on with Poe and 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 all that. I want to. I walked out of the, the theater saying, all right, I want the next one now. I, I've yep. binge watched all the rest of them this week. Where's the next one? Some of the criticism that I've heard about Finn, Finn, Finn is that he didn't receive a lot of character development. And I think that's a good thing because mm-hmm. throughout the movie, he was reacting it wasn't about like, oh, that let Finn grow as a person. It was like, no, Finn's in this really crappy situation. He's in fight or flight mode. Yeah. Like, that's it. The There's no room time. for character development. He's still developing his character. He has Absolutely. been indoctrinated into the cult of stormtroopers the whole time. He hasn't had any other experience. Yeah. So he has to his learn. brain as we watch. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think that's what's great about him is, you know, he spends the whole movie, he's basically a puppy, and he spends the whole movie just just kind of, you know, huge paws flailing everywhere, you know, running in circles, trying to figure out what's what, and, and 
he finally focus he finally focuses on this one person who's offered him the idea of what life could be like if you're not living in constant terror, highly regimented constant terror, and and have some semblance of human connection. And so when something, of course, happens to her, you know, I have to go rescue her. And then all of a sudden, everyone else like, and we will help you. And it's such a, it's a foreign experience, but it's one he's really open to. And that's what I love about Finn as a character is he's radically open, like in a way that you don't see a lot of characters in these kind of sagas typically being because most of the time, like the typical exchanges, person A, cultural convention, cultural convention, skill, skill, quest, person B, react, react, derisive insulter or quip, gradually coming around to your way of thinking. But you rarely see it where the first person, you know, conveys information and the second person is like, I'm for it, or I can be useful or something like that. And I just loved how how sweetly open he was. it was it was it was wonderful you know and there's there's there wasn't a whole lot of distancing cynicism or irony and i was actually a little bit worried about that since it's infested the star trek um ethos as it were and it's one of the defining hallmarks of the marvel movies at this point so um i liked that this movie is it goes back to this this people act on genuine motives and emotions are things that you take seriously and you know, you honor the right to have them and to act on them. And Finn just completely embodies that. I loved it. And, and, and a beautiful thing with his character all throughout everything he starts out in, in, in a, in just constant terror and fear. And all he wants to do is run and get away. And he keeps getting thrown into situations where he has no choice, but to keep moving forward instead of running And then eventually it gets to where he makes the choice to go and help. And then he makes the choice to fight Ren at the end with the lightsaber, which he's not been trained in. And he's not a Jedi as far as And he holds it like a baseball bat. It's hysterical. He does. (laughs) Yeah. so cute. But But the thing is, he he tries to rise to the occasion. Like every time he's presented with a hard choice, he's terrified, but he does it. Like like that that battle was formative for him. And and some of them, I mean, they're not. He doesn't even really have a choice, right? He doesn't have a choice when he's in the Tie Fighter because he can't fly it. He doesn't have a choice when he's stranded on the desert planet in the crashed Tie Fighter, right? And but then you know he has the choice at Maz's to to turn and run or to stay, and and he does stay. But it's it was still he had to overcome that, and and by the end it is it's not even a choice it's it's i'm going to do this because this is the right thing to do and he says that at one point it's like i'm doing this because it's the good thing to do it's the right thing which i think is a lovely it's it's a really important thing that that a lot of movies and and especially hero movies have been letting me down on the the idea that you can be a good person because you are inherently good that's okay too right yeah uh, Lisa, what's your high point? <laughs> My high um, honestly, it was finding out who Kylo Ren's dad was. I was, <laughs> well, I was, uh, I'm so excited about him as a villain. Um, just beyond excited because we're going to get to see uh, his, we are completely invested in whether or not this guy can be redeemed. Um, and I love that. Like, that's going to be the thing that happens because the question is set up in this movie. Like his, you know, cause his mom, I still believe there's some light in him. And, and, you know, when she and Han Solo have the, we need to talk about Kevin moment with their son, Kylo, um, 
oh, I still believe there's some light in him. And um, so go die, go die to save him. <laughs> well, I don't think she sent him off to do that, although it does neatly solve the whole I made a baby with a scoundrel issue. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, it's it's interesting to me that somebody who largely who grew up with with, with a surrogate family that got blown up by a Death Star um, had so much faith in a father son relationship when she kind of had a front row seat to how mentor Mendy things turn out. But like this whole movie, you've. Like, you find out that Kylo is not completely committed to the dark side. And that whole scene that he has where it's like, I'm really torn and I need your help. And I thought, oh, God, here's the, here's the swerve. Here it comes because he doesn't want to kill his dad, but he wants his dad to give him permission to do it. And, uh, um, but because we see him struggling and we see he's lonely and because he's tied to characters that we know and like and Luke blames himself for Kylo, like, we have a stake in Kylo Ren's redemption because – we want this guy to come over to the light side of the force. We want Luke to be redeemed since his Jedi experiment is thus far something of a failure. Um, so we want Luke to have the same kind of redemption and gratification that Ben Kenobi got in movies four through six. Um, it's, it's just so like they've made him interesting precisely because he isn't, um, he isn't a one dimensional baddie like Palpatine was. And the problem that we had, in, not the problem, but the thing about movies four through six was you had already seen Darth Vader after the battle was quote unquote lost. And like the redemption was kind of the swerve in his character there. But you have to admit for like one and seven eighths of a movie, he's like the most terrifying thing going. And then all of a sudden he does the I'm your father swerve and he becomes the, the like, oh, my God. And, you know, the the the, the last movie, eh, whatever. But um, like this one, like you're getting the villain origin story as it was. And so the big question is, is he really going to go with the jawless wonder that he talks to, or is there hope for him to genuinely come over? And if he comes back to the light side, what is the sacrifice? What's the price that has to be paid? Um, so for me, Kylo Ren kind of is a high note because it's a complex villain in a way that we haven't seen before. And it's a villain who has very personal ties to people we already care about. And who has crafted personal ties to people we have come to care about, like um, Ray and Finn, because he got awfully nasty and awfully personal with Finn. And like, I, I got to be honest, I'm a little worried for Finn in the next two installments because Captain Phasma went to the compactor. And when she gets out of it, because you don't cast Gwen Christie and throw away after like three scenes, like <laughs> when Phasma gets out, she's going to want some of her own back and like yeah, the I'm fact excited. that and the fact that kylo ren like sees finn and screams you traitor and like like he really takes this personally and so that's going to be a thing too i'm just really psyched about this villain i think we have a villain that is worthy of the saga and i love it <laughs> now see i i kind of took that scene the other way i didn't see him struggling i saw him luring han in oh no and, and playing playing on you know Playing it being innocent. Help me. Uh uh-uh, oh, no. Me. No, because no, he was false struggle. Because he was yeah, fostering struggle. with the force earlier and the fact that he monologues to his grandpa's helmet and, yep, and all exactly. that. And when he has that throwaway line to, to to Ray where he's like, He'll only disappoint you. Um like it's easy to hate your parents when they're out of the room and you're an angry teenager, but when your parents are driving you to hockey practice, it's kinda hard to roll your eyes. <laughs> and so like when he's confronted with his dad and realizes that that solo has put his life on the line for love of him 
it hits that part of him that can't commit to the dark side. And what's worse is he becomes made aware of that part. And he's already sensitive about the fact that he can't use the force on Ray and she can use it on other people. So he's already insecure. He's already angry. And we all know from previous installments, like that does not make for good force wielding. So no, and then, we'll see. Yeah, and then again, when you jump to the the thing with Ray, when he when he battles with her, and he screams, "You need a teacher. Let me be your teacher." Like it's not because he cares about how expertly the force is wielded. It's because he's so desperate to have a peer, and he's lonely, and he's desperate, and he wants someone to connect to, and he wants to create a family of some sort. You know, having just killed part of his own. <laughs> But yeah, I think he's a great villain. I, I, yeah. It's it's complex and interesting and, and not boring. And that's kind of what I want from my villains. David, what about your high points? Or high point? My my high point is just the, the characters themselves. And the fact that I want to know more about them. And I want to know, I want to see more adventures with them right this second. And, you know, I haven't felt that about Star Wars in forever. You know, decades, decades. Yeah, for me, it was definitely that feeling walking, walking out of the theater and getting home and still being excited and still like, yes, this is amazing. This was Star Wars. This felt like Star Wars. I can see myself in the characters, you know, that that feeling I carried with me for a couple of days. Did you also try to find uh, find tickets for another show and discover it was sold out all weekend and then cry like I did? No, fortunately, I live in a very big metro area, so Uh I can drive a while and get to a theater that has tickets. But um, I did buy tickets at the theater before we started the first viewing. Uh, (laughs) So so, so I went thinking ahead. Yeah, I went to the first screening in Phoenix on Thursday night, and then I went again Sunday afternoon with friends. And I imagine we'll probably go back another time or two. Um, so yeah, but but yeah, and I don't I don't rewatch movies in the theater. I can't remember the last time I did that. Um, so well, I saw I saw the Phantom Menace nine times in the theater. So okay, that's just, yeah. just my thing. I did not. I did not. But um, Coruscant yeah. is a beautiful world. That, that I don't blame you for going back. It's it was it was fun to look at a lot of those 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 vividly rendered environments. Plus Liam Neeson. Yes. <laughs> no, Ewan McGregor. Yes, you and McGregor. <laughs> you and McGregor. <laughs> well, I'd like to thank the panel so much for your thoughts. I, you know, I think we could, as everybody has probably said, we could probably talk about this for hours and hours and hours and still talk about it more. Um, but I'm really excited and happy that I got to share this time with you. Uh, Lisa Schmeiser, thank you so much for joining us. I had a great time. I'm so glad I got to talk to people about this. <laughs> I kind of feel like, you know, trying not to say anything on Twitter because I know a lot of people who haven't seen it. Yes. And I'm like, there's so much I want to say and I'm going to explode. So this was this was a nice outlet. We need to talk about Kevin. I have been dying to, to, to use that. We need to talk about Kyle. We need to talk about <laughs> Kevin. I've been dying to say that for days. And, you know, Phil, I'm, I'm, Phil and I are seeing it this weekend and I'm kind of interested to see how he reacts to it. But um, I'm excited to see it again. I'm so excited yeah. to see it again. Yeah, it's it's. I think it holds up. Um, Erica Ensign, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. You know, uh, much as I love The Phantom Menace, the, the the prequels were not what everybody wanted out of Star Wars. And I think the first line of this film, uh, which was something to the effect of this will begin to make it right. <laughs> yeah, that says mm-hmm. it all. It, it has. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Lore, thank you. Thank you. All I can say is live long and prosper. Mm, you're crossing the streams again. They mm. see him trolling, they hate him. 
<laughs> and I've been your host, Aline Sims. I'm really excited to host my first panel on the incomparable um, main show. Um, and it's been a joy. Talk to y'all later. May the force be with you.